I know that you would agree with me that we will all be glad when the election is over Tuesday. Yeah, the negativism, the depth of wickedness, sin, and corruption. Um, God, it's like God had just shined a light on this land that we love, as Scott said. He was outside this country for 26 years. You come back and you realize with all our problems and all our wickedness and all our sin that uh, it's still a wonderful place to live. But it's like God said, I'm just going to shine a light into the heart of this nation. And we certainly have not liked what we have seen and what we've heard. No, it's, it's, it's just not. It's, dis, it's really d- disturbing, real disturbing. But you know, um, what is God saying to us in all of this? What, what, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you and to me individually and to the body of Christ at Luke 4.18 and the body of Christ in America. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, I'm talking to you today, preparing for the election before and after. Notice what I said, preparing for the election before and after. And look what he says, and this is so important that we heed this and we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us this truth. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, those who don't know Jesus, those who are in darkness. And by the way, they're the far, far majority in this country. We are a sincere, genuine followers of Jesus Christ who have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ are in a vast minority in this country. And so what God is saying, now you walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time, making the most of the time that you have. So preparation, walk in wisdom. Look at the next verse. Now this is very important. Let your speech always be with grace. I love the way Scott prayed with grace. Lord, you love every person in this country. Jesus died for every person in this country. His blood was shed so that they could be redeemed and brought out of darkness to light, just like God had mercy on us. So let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. In other words, it's, it's purifying. Salt seasons, gives taste to life. Listen to this, that you may know how to answer each other. <laughs> and so we got to be wise, and we gotta, we got to speak grace that really ministers to people before the election And after the election. You know, as I thought about uh, the days in which we're living, it went back to one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament uh, with a man named Jehoshaphat. You know, uh, Jehoshaphat, if you look in 2 Chronicles um, chapter 19, had done a mighty work in Israel. He'd torn down the high places. He'd gotten rid of the idols. He'd brought back the word of the law. He had done a marvelous work in bringing Israel back to their awareness of who Yahweh is and his call for the life. He'd done a great work. But then the enemy came against him, and he was greatly outnumbered. And I want you to look at chapter uh, 20 of Second Chronicles. It'll be on the screen. And I want you to look at verse, uh, I think it's verse 14, where he made this statement. And he was talking about the Moabites, the Ammonites, the people from Mount Seir that were coming against them, 
people that they had had mercy on, people that they had spared, people that God had told them to leave them alone when they came out of Egypt, said, you know, just leave them there. And they'd had mercy on them. But now it says, here they come. Josh and them didn't have a chance. The only thing they had was God. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Now listen to this. Nor, we do, nor do we know what to do. They were saying, Lord, Josh said, Lord, really? I don't know what to do. Now here's a godly man. Here's a godly king who had taken a wicked and sinful nation and turned it back to God. It was amazing. But he said, at this point, he said, Lord, I, I'm just telling you. I, I really don't know what to do. But then he closed it by letting us know he did know what to do. The last part of that verse he said was, but our eyes, our eyes on you. Boy, it, you know, when you don't know what to do, it's a good place to get your eyes on Jesus. Amen. That's a good place to look when you don't know what to do. And so I just realized, and I've said this before. Now, he said he did not know what to do, but he did know what to do. And as you read that chapter, he did everything just exactly as God led him to do it. He prepared himself. He prepared himself for the coming battle. And there are about four things I want to show you as we prepare for the election before and after. Here's the first thing. He prayed for wisdom, for understanding, and for, for direction. Second Chronicles 23 and 4. You said, he said, well, I don't know what to do, but he'd already started seeking God, he said. And Jehoshaphat feared. Hey, he knew that without God, he wasn't going to make it. And, and Judah wouldn't make it. He knew that. He knew that. And so Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Man, he did know what to do. Man, he, he set his face. That's the word in the Hebrew. He set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. So here there's chaos, there's confusion. The enemy has risen its head. He, he, he knows that they're outnumbered. Their only hope is in God. So he begins to seek the face of God. And guess what? The people followed him. And you'll notice in the next verse. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And they begin to say, God, you, you, you've got to help us. You've got to help us, Lord. We, we can't handle it. We can't do it. We don't even know how to do it gathered to ask help from the Lord, from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Man, they prayed for God's wisdom, for God's direction, for God's understanding, for God's power. You know, as I, I thought about that, this, this verse came back to my mind. And I know you probably know it, but I want you to listen to the first four verses. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth boy he will not allow your foot to be moved he who keeps you will not slumber behold he, keep, he that keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleep hey I guess what God's saying to you I'm awake I know what's going on. I've heard your cry. So many in this room. I've heard your cry. I know your burden. I know your concern. He said, I want you to know that I'm not slumbering. I'm awake. And I'm fully aware of what your needs are. And so he did know what to do. He cried out for wisdom. Now, I, I'm going to tread on... Uh, it may be uneasy ground for a lot of you, but it's not for me because it's, it's about morality. Um, I want to take personalities out of this election, and I want to talk about the platform of the Democratic Party 
and the platform of the Republican Party. And I want to tell you what, I'm not a Democrat and I'm not a Republican. I'm a follower of Jesus. And that's exactly what you are. I used to have confidence in the Republican Party, and that's why God said, I'm just going to show you, get your eyes off me and get your eyes on me. So as far as I'm concerned, there's only one party, and it's the body of Christ. Okay. Now let's take the platform of the Democratic Party. Now this is on television all the time. It's open knowledge. I'm not saying anything. See, for example, we know that the Democratic platform is they want abortion on demand. 60 million already murdered in the womb. And it was God who said, when I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. So this bill that uh, life doesn't begin until they're outside, that's, that's just a big lie. So we know that the Democratic Party is for abortion on demand. Now here is where it's really, and you need to get this or you're going to misunderstand what I'm saying. They are saying that gay rights, same-sex marriage, are civil rights. And that's what the legislation of the Supreme Court said. Now, if it is a civil right, then if you do not obey it, then you can be prosecuted. But you see, it has never been a civil right. It is... And we live in a land where a f- there is freedom for a person to choose the lifestyle they want to choose as long as it's not against the law. And so it, it, it's a moral matter. It's a moral situation. But you see, when you say it's a civil right, then if you don't obey it, then you uh, can be uh, prosecuted. And see, that's where it puts Christians in the place that if we uh, refuse to say, for example, you know, the people in in California where it was who would not bake a wedding cake for a same-sex couple that was going to get married. Well, they got sued, threatened, and were put out of business because they would not, because of their convictions as a Christian, bake a cake, a wedding cake for a uh, same-sex union. So, you've got to understand, it, it is not a civil right. Now, I, I'll tell you what was a civil right and is a civil right, was slavery. In other words, we, we said to discriminate because of color. That's the way a person's born. That's the color of their skin. They had no control over. And so, therefore, it was a civil right. And people were prosecuted because of slavery but that's not this other stuff same-sex marriage gay right and God loves them and Jesus died for them and we want he wants them to be saved but it is you've got to understand they're saying it is a civil right it is not and they're going to put pressure on you and me if we don't do what they want us to do about that then they will prosecute us they will so you've got to understand that a part of their platform is it's a civil right, which is absolutely wrong and opens the door for persecution of those who will not cooperate and who stand and say, and because of conscience and because of our faith in God and because of the teachings of the Word of God, we cannot do that, then they okay, then we're going to put you out of business. And they've succeeded in most places. So you've got to understand this thing about a civil right is, is wrong. And it's in their platform, and the Supreme Court has in, endorsed it. Well, and um, we know that the, one of the major things on their platform is they will continue to appoint Supreme Court justices who are liberal. You see, the problem with the Supreme Court, it was never God's intention for them to make law. Did you hear what I said? All they were to do was to interpret the Constitution. It's been years before they even looked at the Constitution. They make laws, y'all. They make laws. They don't interpret the Constitution. No, no. Oh, no. So, I know what the Democratic platform is. Well, the Republican platform. Pro-life. No. 
One thing we have done who were of that persuasion, we have opposed abortion. We've demonstrated outside of clinics. We've passed laws in states to try to restrict abortion on demand. And the Supreme Court and the higher courts just strike them down one after another. Texas had some of the best laws that you could be in the, in the Supreme Court and higher court just said no. And so you understand that uh, I believe that the platform that the Republicans are running on is, I, I'm convinced it is a pro-life pa- platform. And if possible, we could reverse Roe versus Wade if they, we got the right people on the Supreme Court. You know, as far as gay rights and same-sex union in, in, this Amer- in this nation, by the way, in many countries, it's against the law. They put people in prison. In some countries, they still kill them. So they already had the freedom in this country to consenting adults to pursue the lifestyle that they wanted to pursue. And they were already living together. What's the big deal about them getting married? And so you understand, though, but they wanted legal rights, legal protection, and able to, for, and for, to force us by law to cooperate with their lifestyle, and that will never happen. It'll never happen. And so we, we see a clear difference in, in, in the platforms. And, and, and frankly, it, it is um, everybody that I know that I trust said that a part of that platform will be the persecution of anybody who takes a stand for righteousness and godliness as opposed to the agenda of that other party. So we need wisdom. You say, all right, Brother Fred, what can I do? I tell you what you can do. You can study the platforms. I tell you what you can do. You can pray. You can seek God's face. And it would be almost the unpardonable sin for you not to vote. Well, I don't know who to vote for. Well, talk to me after the service. I'd love to tell you. (laughs) Now, don't be self-righteous and say, well, the two candidates. I'm telling you what, I ain't going there. I'm not going there. But I'm not voting for a Sunday school teacher. I want somebody that will take a stand for what's right. And, you know, if God, I better not say that. Uh, Anyway, I'm going to move on from that. We need to pray. How do you prepare for the election before and after? Pray for wisdom. Study. Seek the face of God. And whatever you do, vote. You say, well, your vote will count. Oh, yeah, it'll count. We want every vote to count because we want to send a message that needs to be heard. Do you hear me? All right. Boy, I'm glad Scott prayed this earlier. Here's the second thing. Now, you see that Jehoshaphat and Judah set their face to seek the Lord. They sought God's wisdom, God's understanding, and God's instruction. And then they remembered and reminded themselves of who was in control. Look, look at Second Chronicles 26. Now, look at this. We've got to remember this, that God is sovereign. That God is in control and that God has the final word. I am telling you, there's no panic in heaven. God is not wringing his hands over who's going to win this election. You do know that, don't you? God says, oh, what am I going to do? With the breath of his mouth, he could wipe us all out. If you've got a God that could do anything less than that, your God's too small. He said, um, I love what Jehoshaphat said. And he said, oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Or do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one can withstand you? I had someone say one time that we feel like that one of our biggest enemies is the devil, and he is the God of this world, little g, but I'm telling you, we've, we've somehow left out the God factor. And that is, it's one thing 
when God is angry with you, it's one thing when God is angry with the, with the people because of their wickedness and sin. And it's said here, no one is able to withstand you. So we come to this time where we realize uh, that God is in control and he has the final word. And look at Psalm 2. You know, why do the nations rage? Why do the people plan of pl- plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds to pieces. Let us cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Don't you know when these, uh, I'm not going to use that word, when these people make all these plans and say, man, we're in, the, we're in control, whether it's, I mean, I'm not, you know, Christians can get where they depend on themselves and their wisdom and their understanding instead of looking to God. But you know, when people plot things that are against God, you know, you know what God says, and they think they're in control, and they think they've got the final word, and they think it's going to be just as they planned, God laughs at them. That's what he says. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. He will hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. You have set my king, yet I, yet I have set my king. Now here's who's on the throne. <laughs> and whoever gets elected, they're not going to be on the throne. You got it? Have you got it? The throne's already occupied. It's occupied by Jesus. Yet I've set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Before and after this election, we've got to seek God for wisdom, understanding, and direction. We've got to realize that God is all-powerful and that he is in control. And it'll give you peace. It'll give you peace, I'm telling you. And then here's the third thing. <laughs> realize that what's going on in America, this is the third thing. It is not a political battle. It is a spiritual battle. Oh, yeah. Oh, it may have politics written over it. Oh, no, it's a spiritual battle. The rulers of the darkness of this world have taken the control of the minds of men and women. And so we see that we're fighting a spiritual battle. And that is exactly what it is. And, boy, I love it. Oh, Jehoshaphat, he was all concerned about it. And uh, he uh, uh, just was, uh, he he knew it was a spiritual battle, but somebody had to remind him. And see, in America right now, it's a battle between darkness and light, between right and wrong, between righteousness and wickedness. It's it's a spiritual battle. It it is. But one of the, the, uh, Members of the tribe of Judah said, said Jehoshaphat, you've forgotten that this is, you, don't you know this is a spiritual battle? And you've forgotten whose battle it is? I want you to look in Second Chronicles 20, right here in this same chapter. He's the one who said, Lord, my, I, I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you. He said, this guy named Jehazahel, I, I, I think it's the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. He may be mentioned one other time. It says, and he said, listen, all you of Judah. Listen, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Okay, listen, all you in Mobile. Listen, all of you that are intending Luke 4.18. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. Listen, Brother Fred. Thus saith the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this multitude, for the battle is not yours, but say it. Whose? Okay. God's fighting this battle. The battle is not yours. 
It's God's. And so if it's a spiritual battle, stay with me. It has to be fought with spiritual weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, to the casting down of imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It is a spiritual battle, and the battle is the Lord. And look, look at the last part of verse 17. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tuesday, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. This is a spiritual battle. Far greater than any party. Far greater than any political system. Satan's right in the middle of the whole cotton-picking thing. Right in the middle of it. So it's a spiritual battle. All right, so you've got to fight it with spiritual weapons. And so I said, well, Lord, you've told us what, what, what our weapons are. I want you to look on the screen. I, now I want you to tell you how you fight this spiritual battle, okay? You fight it with the armor of God. And I'm serious with you. You say, well, no, I've I, I got to find another one. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. If it's a spiritual battle and we're battling the devil and his unholy angels, then we've got to realize that we've got to use spiritual weapons. All right, it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He doesn't say be strong in your own intellect, your own wisdom, your own ability, and your own plan. He did not say that. He said, now listen, you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Well, this is a pretty good word, isn't it? Put on the whole armor of God. Hey, it's a spiritual battle. Man, you ain't got to be a rocket scientist to figure out. It's a battle between darkness and light, wickedness and righteousness, godliness and ungodliness. It's a, it's, it's a spiritual Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Satan has a plan. He has a scheme for this nation, for your life, for this church. And then he went and said, now let me tell you why you better put on the whole armor of God and you better be, uh, and be strong and in the power of his might. And you better understand that we're fighting against the strategies of the enemy. Now I want you, don't, don't forget, to look at this verse. Now you may believe this, you may not believe it, but whether you do or not, it's absolutely true. And I want you to know we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Uh-uh. No person is, our, the, the devil comes at us through people but it's the one behind the people. Do you understand me? It's what's behind the person. I am not wrestling against flesh and blood. Say that with me. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood. Do you get that? We're wrestling against principalities. And they're wicked. Against powers. Look at this. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. They're rulers of darkness against spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Well, boy, if that's what we're wrestling against, I better not go out there with a BB gun. That's all I got to say. I better have on the whole armor of God. And by the way, he tells you what it is. Therefore, you take up the whole armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, Woo. and having done all to stand. Hallelujah. When it's all said and done, God's people are still going to be standing. Hallelujah. I want every lost soul to be saved. I don't want them to be destroyed and spend eternity in, the, in hell. No. Jesus came so they would not do that. And the church has to have a passion for lost souls. But I'm just saying to you that only Jesus can save them, and our responsibility is to preach the gospel. But look what he said. He said, put on the whole armor of God. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Now, I want you to write in your mind truth. We've got to know the truth. Now, we've got to know the truth. What, what, God, what did God say about it? We've got to know the truth. We've got to believe the truth. We've got to stand for the truth, and we've got to act on the truth. I tell you what, truth exposes lies. 
All you need to do to expose a lie is to speak the truth of God into any situation. So the first thing we've got to do is walk and live in truth. Then look at the next thing. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. There are two kinds of righteousness. That's the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ that was given to you when you were saved. When you were truly born again by the Spirit of God, God took your sin and placed it on Jesus. And God took Jesus' righteousness and placed it on you. And I am telling you that if you are a child of God, you have received the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Jesus has been charged to your account. The famous sermon that Peter Lord preached that uh, was, was a classic and still is, it's called Turkeys and Eagles. And he said, it's hard to fly like an eagle when you live among the turkeys. And this is what he's saying. If you don't know that you have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you're going to be like a turkey just graveling around in the dirt. But once you know that you have the righteousness of Jesus, a robe, or you're robed in the righteousness of Jesus, then you're like an eagle that can fly. Because you know the truth. And so we got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. But while it is a gift, we've received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And reign in life with Jesus Christ. Then you've got to practice righteousness. You've got to practice it. Man, you've got, you, you got to be righteous in your job. You've got to be righteous in your lifestyle. Righteous in your home. Righteous in your marriage. Righteous in everything that you do. So that they will not be able to say, well, quote, unquote. If that's what a Christian is, it don't work. Let me tell you something. There are a lot of people that have rejected Jesus because they've seen a different Jesus that is in the New Testament. They've seen a Jesus in many lives of people who, who profess to know Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the New Testament. It's totally foreign. Righteousness cannot be refuted. When you live a righteous life, there is no defense against it. So how do we fight this battle? It's a spiritual battle. By knowing the truth, believing the truth, standing in the truth, walking in the truth, knowing that we are righteous in Christ and living a righteous life, a righteous life, a holy life, a godly life. Well, let me just give you a verse. You've heard it. It says in Philippians 2, 15, he talks about the fact that we're to be blameless and harmless, the children of God, among whom we shine as lights. It says, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We've got to fight this battle with truth, and we've got to fight this battle with righteousness. Let's go on. What's the next thing? And it says, holding forth the word of life, that it, I've, I've not run in vain. I want to go back to Ephesians 6. We're talking about the, the armor of God. We're talking about uh, girding our loins with truth. We're talking about putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Look at this. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. He came to give us, and we have his peace as we walk in fellowship with him. And so we shod our feet with the preparation of gospel of peace, which is this, that any man or any woman who will repent of their sin, turn from their sin, place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they can have peace with God through the blood of his cross. Ours is a message of peace, but it's the peace of God, which this world does not have. Oh, my goodness. Well, why do you think they just have to try to keep filling themselves with one pleasure after another and one entertainment after another and one pill after another? Oh, well, maybe I'll, and then it wears off, and then it wears off. And so you've got to go a little further. They don't know anything about the peace of God. But we, our feet, we're walking in the peace of God, and we're preaching that there's peace through the blood of his cross. And look at the next thing. We've got to take the shield of faith. Above by which you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You know what it says in the Bible? There's life and death in the power of the tongue. The enemy, you know what he does? He said, now, take the shield of faith. Paul had in mind a Roman shield. 
By the way, it wasn't one of them little shields. It covered from here, his vital organs, all the way down almost to his ankles where he had those big old boots. It was a huge shield. He said, take the shield of faith. And not only have that big armor on, that full armor, but he had a, a little shield. It says, take the shield of faith by which you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I want to tell you something right here. I want you to listen to me. Hey, Paul was thinking about a shield covered with leather and soaked in water. And the enemy would have f f flaming arrows. And they would draw back and shoot that flaming arrow. And those people would take that leather shield soaked in water and grab those arrows and quench him. It quenched the fire. Let me tell you something. The devil is a liar. He loves to whisper in your ear. Did you know that? He loves to speak to you. You know what he'll do? He'll come with a fiery dart. Goes like this. Where did that come from? Why am I thinking that? Why did that rise in me? Oh, I'll tell you exactly what it was. Well, it could have been your flesh. But a lot of the time, it's a fiery dart of the wicked one. And the Bible says, but all you do is this. Man, you, you, you just be wrapped in truth. Just have on that blessed plate of righteousness. And just walk in the power of the gospel, walk in the peace of God. And you just take the shield of faith and you just knock down all those th things that set them. He'll, he'll throw that fiery dart in your mind. He'll th you know, I, I had to learn this the hard way. You know, uh, he's, by the way, did you know the devil is the accuser of the brethren? Say accuser of the brethren. He is the accuser of the brethren. And oh my Lord, he used to, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm a slow learner. And, and, and these thoughts would come in my mind. I'd say, boy, I must be bad. I, I mean, I'm bad. I'm bad. One day I realized, well, that, that's, that's not what I want to think. That's not coming out of my flesh. That, that's a fiery dart. That's a fiery dart. And then I've got to stop it before it gets residence in my heart and knock it down. Now, I'm just being honest, and this was years ago. I'd be sitting in the chair at Cottage Hill Baptist Church, and, you know, we, I'd look out over the auditorium and the worship center, and I'd look across there, and my eyes would come on this person, and the thought would come, he don't like you. <laughs> Boy, I'd get all set up to up. I said, I'll tell you what, if he don't like me, I'll avoid him after church. I ain't going to get around him. And the devil, and, and God said, who are you listening to? It don't matter whether he likes you or not. I told you to love your enemies, to bless those that curse you, to pray for those. That, I said, you know, Lord, that's a fiery dart of the devil. And every time Satan would it come in my mind, I said, I refuse that in Jesus' name. And I'm going to go up to that person after church and hug them and tell them that I love them. And now what are you going to do about that? <laughs> well, he quit. And it's called the fiery darts. Listen, you are in a spiritual battle and I'm in a spiritual battle. But God told us how to fight it. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Girt your loins with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And, and take the shield of faith. And then he also talked about this. Take the helmet of salvation. Which means we have the mind of Christ. We, we know that we are saved. And if we're saved, truly saved, we're secure. And that we have the mind of Christ. And so we have on the helmet of salvation. And then, by the way, we do have an offensive weapon. Guess what it is? The Word of God. You know what Jesus did when he was in the wilderness and the devil came after him? You know what he did? He said to Jesus, I know you're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. Command these stones be made to bread. What did Jesus say? I'm hungry, but I'm by my willpower, I'm not going to eat. No, that is not what he said. 
He took the sword of the Spirit and jabbed it in the heart of the devil and said, the devil ain't got no heart, jabbed him in the devil and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He took a verse out of Deuteronomy and just stuck it slap in the chest of the devil. Then the devil said, you know, people need to know how famous you are. You know, there's a Hey, by the way, the devil knows the Bible, but he misquotes it. He takes it out of context. Oh, yeah. He said, don't you remember in Psalms that it said that, that, uh, that if, you, if, if you jumped off a cliff or fell off a pinnacle, that the, God would send his angels to catch you? God would send his angels to catch you unless you dash your foot against a stone. He said, you're talking about getting famous. You get up there and jump off the pinnacle of the temple, and he'll come one of God's angels, and he'll scoop you up. Boy, they'll say, isn't Jesus something? Jesus said, you liar, you. He said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He said, I ain't going to. And he just answered with the Bible. He used Deuteronomy. Lord, we got Romans, and he used Deuteronomy. Give me a break. And then the third temptation was this. And I've never, you know, I, I've had almost every temptation a human can have and you can. But this one, he said, uh, he showed him all the kingdoms. Of, took him up on a mountain, showed him the kingdoms of the world. He said, uh, tell you what, Jesus, if you all fall down. Now, by the way, he's the prince of this world system, not the created world. He's a ruler of the world of darkness. He said to Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship, you see these kingdoms? I'll give them to you. And he had a right to give that evil world system. He was in control of it. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. Jesus already knew that he was the king, and one day he would sit in absolute authority after he won the victory on the cross. But you know what he, how he answered the devil? You know how he answered him? He took the word of God again. Man shall not live by bread alone, Deuteronomy. You shall not tempt the Lord your God, Deuteronomy. Jesus said, you shall, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only will I serve. I will worship the Lord my God, and him only will I serve. See, Jesus knew you served who you worshiped. You worship this world, you're going to serve this world. You worship anything other than Jesus, that's who you're going to serve. But Jesus knew it. He said, I will worship the Lord my God, and him only will I serve. And he said, devil, get out of here. You're defeated. And he was on his way to hell. He just didn't know it. Listen, this is a spiritual battle. You better put on the whole armor of God. But here's the last thing now. And then it says, I want you to pray. You've you got truth all over you. You're walking in righteousness. You're a peacemaker. You've got the feet, gospel of the peace on your feet. And you, you, you have, you have the, the shield of faith. And you have the helmet of salvation. And you got the sword of the Spirit. But then he said, you pray. Pray. Always. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. With and perseverance for the saints. He said, pray. Man, you got on the armor of God. You're going to battle. You're fighting the devil and all of his demons. You're fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you overcome by the blood of the Lamb. He said, but I want you to pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. See, the way you prepare, you've got to understand it is a spiritual battle, and it must be fought with spiritual weapons. Well, this is the last thing. I've talked about the fact that um, we need to pray for wisdom, understanding, and direction. That's exactly what Josphat did. Secondly, we need to... Uh, Remember that God is all-powerful and he's in control, and he is. We need to realize this is a spiritual battle, and the battle is the Lord's, and put on the whole armor of God and go to battle in the power of Jesus and overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And this is the last thing, my favorite part of the whole passage. It says in, Jeho in Jehoshaphat, it says in Second Chronicles 20.12, it says, in the last part, he says, our eyes are on you. We have no power might against this multitude, but our, hours, but, our, but our eyes are upon you. And then 
it says, I, I think it, I'm not, I don't know what verse that is. I forgot, but it's the most important verse. Let me look it up real quick. Because I want you to get this. I'll tell you what verse it is. Verse 18. The battle is the Lord's. Fight it in spiritual battles. And then he said, verse 18. Now the battle hadn't even been fought yet. They were still coming. Here comes the old Moabites, the Ammonites, the people from Mount Zero. They were still coming. They were getting closer and closer. And now the time to put on your armor and go to battle. But Jehoshaphat, you know what he did? He started worshiping God. Now, I love this. Listen to this. Some of you are in a severe battle right now. You're in an intense battle. It is an unbelievable battle. I don't know how big it is, but it is big. But I want to tell you what you need to do. Do exactly what he did. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head. Wow. With his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Here comes the enemy. Tuesday's coming. Oh, Josh fat, he just stretched out on his face. I would do that, but I couldn't get up. <laughs> I used to do it all the time. But, I don't, but I, I'm telling you, he just stretched out, face down. And guess what he did? He worshiped God. He was just worshiping God. Somebody said, Josh Fed, I'm, this, is, this, I'm, this is wonderful worship, but the enemy is coming over the hill. He said, I'm fighting him right now. I'm fighting him right now. He bowed on his face and worshiped God. Before the election on Tuesday and after, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to worship God. Are you listening to me? You need to worship God. And I want to tell you what that means, all right? The first time worship's ever used in the Bible was when Abraham was told by God to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham's heart was Isaac. God said, take him up on the mountain and offer him up as a sacrifice. Abraham knew God. He knew God's heart. He knew if he did, God would raise him up. He knew that. He said, take, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on the mountains, which I shall tell you. And look at the next verse. It says here, so Abraham early in the morning saddled his donkey and uh, took two of his young men and Isaac and went on up toward the mountain. Go on to the next verse and, and verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, they had... Uh, Abraham, Isaac, the servants, the donkey, the wood, the fire. And somewhere along the way, Isaac said, well, where's the sacrifice? Where's the sacrifice? He said, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. And he said to the, to the servants, stay here with this donkey. And the lad and I will go yonder and what? Worship. Did that mean they were going to go up there and sing a bunch of choruses? Uh-uh. I love courses. Was they going to sing spiritual songs? No, that wasn't it. I love spiritual songs. You know what Isaac is? The thing that you love more than anything else. And you know when you've really worshipped God? is when you place on the altar anything that would come between you and God. Anything that is more precious to you than God is. God will call for your Isaac Oh, he will call for your Isaac. And I'm telling you, you really have worshiped God when you say, Lord, you know how much I love Isaac. He is so, you know, are you sure? Is it, can, I, can I go get something else, Lord? No, no, you shall have no other gods before me. And after he raised the knife to offer, to offer up Isaac, you know what God said to him? Stop. Hold it, I, uh, Abraham. Now I know you love me more than anything else in this world. You know when you worship God? When you love Jesus more than anything else in this world. It's offering up to God. It's called surrender. You're talking about worshiping. Woo. 
It's when you surrender. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to you, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. And Jehoshaphat bowed his face to the ground and worshiped God. And so we see that as we prepare for the election and afterwards, we've just got to worship God. We've just got to worship him and offer him, come before him in total and complete surrender. And we've got to worship him with a righteous life. We've got to worship him with conduct uh, that's full of faith, that's full of faith and no compromise. You worship God when you just refuse to compromise. The Bible says in Jude Verse 3, earnestly contend for the faith. Folks, let me tell you one thing. They're going to say, well, you're not supposed to say that. The Bible says it, we're going to say it. So we've got to earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith. And we've got to say what God says. But they say, this is what the world says. We don't, we, we're not listening to the world This is what God says, and what we've got to do is this. We can't back down, cow down, go undercover, and hide our lamp under a bushel. We have got to earnestly contend for the faith. Do you understand that? When people talk against the Word of God and talk against the morality in the Bible, you don't sit there and say, well, you know, that's just their opinion. No, it's not their opinion. It's wicked and it's ungodly and it's against the Word of God and silence is perceived as agreement. You worship God when you earnestly contend for the faith. It is a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle. So I'm, I'm just prepared. I'm preparing before. So I'm prepared, prepared. No, I'm in the process of getting prepared. And you're in the process of getting prepared. Whatever the outcome is, whatever. Because no man can save us. No, 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 no. The arm of flesh cannot deliver us. No, no, no. We're not looking to man any longer. We're looking to God. The arm of flesh will always fail you. Our eyes on the Lord. 